Welcome to another episode in the Fleming Foundation's podcast series from Under the Rubble. Today is the first episode in the series in which we hope to clarify the legal and moral status of human life. I'm Rex Scott, your host, and the guest today, of course, is Dr. Thomas Fleming. Welcome. Thank you, Rex. Now, Anthony Kennedy's resignation from the Supreme Court has given President Trump an opportunity to put a more conservative stamp on the court, and he promises to announce his choice in a few days. Several of the known candidates have taken strong public positions against Roe versus Wade, while Chuck Schumer and the Democratic leadership are claiming that another pro-life justice would change the balance and threaten abortion rights. I think it's possible. It's, it's been that way for 45 years, but maybe with another pro-life Supreme Court justice, we could turn it over. What do you think? Well, of course, they can change it. There's a big question of whether they will. Remember that Roe versus Wade mm-hmm. itself overturned not just 200 years of our constitutional tradition going back to even before the revolution, mm-hmm. but it also overturned you know, 5,000 or you know, 10,000 years Ooh. of human civilized moral thought on this question. So if if you're going to rule by revolution, in other words, if you're going to say the judges get to make up the laws that go along, mm-hmm. well, once upon a time, Plessy uh, versus Ferguson was the law of the land, separate but equal facilities for persons of color. And oh. then along came Brown versus the Board of Education. For people like Schumer, the power of revolution only goes in one direction. We'll have a chance right now to see if it can go in the other direction. So you're saying the Bill of Rights was turned upside down. How is that possible? The first ten amendments to the Constitution were put there because James Madison understood, he was a prudent politician, that there was... a major opposition to the ratification of the Constitution because people were afraid that the central government of the United States was going to have much too much power. Well, that didn't happen. <laughs> ah, okay. And uh, they, were, they wanted to preserve the rights of the states. Remember, North Carolina seceded in 1775, hmm. the Mecklenburg County Declaration. Now, what does that mean? This means that North Carolina was a sovereign entity before the Declaration of Independence. Hmm. And that's where the United States, because these 13 separate colonies were now constituted sovereign states with all the rights of sovereignty, and then they formed a confederation to wage the war. So the, the Bill of Rights is designed to protect the rights not of individual Americans, but of states and other corporate associations to protect them from an invasion by the federal government. I see. So, for example, the, the First Amendment, Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion or any interference in religion. This is to prevent the national government from interfering in whatever religious establishments mm-hmm. existed in the states, not to give freedom of conscience to an individual. That's not part of it. Oh. So how did this happen? Well, yeah. it happened through the 14th Amendment. First, the 14th Amendment was not passed legally. They'd used a kind of a trick, which now we call the nuclear option, but you can't use the nuclear option in amending the Constitution. You had to have a two-thirds majority in Congress. They didn't Hmm. have it. Uh, Secondly, they they coerced southern states. You can't get back in the Union unless you agree to the 14th Amendment and the 13th Amendment, and they also brought in a new state. So the whole thing was bogus to begin with. Second of all, 
the 14th Amendment was, was only supposed to protect things like co civil rights, which were contract rights, which were the right to make a will, the right to you know enter into a business deal. It really didn't say anything about political rights, which still belong to the states to manage. However, in the 20th century, by a magical trick, they magical said, tricks. a magical trick, the court started ruling that the 14th Amendment somehow incorporated the Bill of Rights so that now you could say that if the 14th Amendment is supposed to give political rights to an individual everywhere, regardless of race, color, creed, etc., you know, that it was not a generic thing. And if that's true, then, for example, everybody has freedom of religion as an individual right, and therefore go to a store and they say, we don't serve Muslims, well, that's, that's illegal. Or if you have a public school, you can't have prayer in school. All of these things are because of this wicked and perverse reinvention of the Bill of Rights by sticking them into the 14th Amendment. It's all bogus. Are you talking about something that uh, is giving rights to an entity, a, a corporation, a city, a town? Or are you talking about the idea that it got twisted into individual rights? Yeah. Me, Rex, yeah. gets this right to do yeah. that. Take the First Amendment or the Fourth Amendment or the Fifth Amendment. These were granting rights, freedom of speech, freedom of religion. Okay. Freedom For everybody. To, no, no, they were granting them. They were preventing the federal government from interfering in whatever arrangement oh. a state might want to make. Okay. They were afraid of the federal government. Mercy Otis Warren, who's a very a major player in the time of the revolution, she was the brother of, uh, sister, excuse me, of uh, James Otis, the one who first said taxation without representation is tyranny. Ah. She was married to Dr. Warren, one of the heroes of the Boston Patriot Committee, mm -hmm. and she was she terrified even John and Abigail Adams because she was so intellectually forced and abrasive, she said, if we don't pass some guarantee that the states have a right to control things like who enters your shop, in other words, can, can the federal government just send in FBI people to kick your door in? Sure. She said, this will be another generation of lobster backs, that is, British soldiers coming in searching our shops. So they wanted to prevent the federal government from assuming the rights of the British monarchy. Mm. And so Madison's idea was to give them a Bill of Rights that would assure them that the states would still be sovereign and be able to manage all these things. However, through the misapplication of the illegally passed 14th Amendment, mm -hmm. they then created this fiction that it was now the federal government's job to protect the rights of individuals against the states, against cities. Okay, so uh, the idea was, in essence, um, here is an amendment, here is a sort of a idea that we just don't want the federal government right. coming in and doing our business that we want to do. But That's wait right. a minute, how did the Bill of Rights authorize the court to overturn state restrictions on abortion? Because if the 14th Amendment was doing its job, then they would have been able to, states would have been able to say, yes, we are, or no, we're not. It would have been a state decision. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, and in fact, there was a, there, one of the uh, attempts to remedy the abortion issue, mm -hmm. which was created by the justices of the Supreme Court, by Justice Harry Blackman in particular, Orrin Hatch, the evil Mormon senator from Utah, evil. proposed a very sensible amendment, uh, which would have 
turned it back to the states. If they turned it back to the states in the 1970s or 80s, what this would have meant is that uh, states like Utah, South Carolina, Alabama, probably half the states of the union would have more or less outlawed abortion. Most states would have allowed it only in terms of uh, rape and incest and threatening the life of the mother. There might have been places like California and uh, New York State that would have gone much farther. Mm -hmm. But the point is that would have been saved. Unfortunately, the Catholic right to lifers torpedoed it because they wanted an absolute ruling, which they are probably never going to get. Even if Roe v. Wade is overturned, remember, we've had now uh, 45 years of state laws being passed to accommodate the ruling in Roe v. Wade. But we have to go back to the original premise here. I mean, that document, those words did not give the right to kill children in the womb. There's, it's not even, that uh, life is not an issue there. Yeah, no, no aspect of life is an issue in the Constitution because people, people confuse the Constitution with the Declaration of Independence. Oh yeah, I've done that. People have said things like, uh, well, you know, uh, it says life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. That's in the Constitution. Well, no, it's not. Right. And the Declaration of Independence is a charming, uh, fanciful document. <laughs> the important part of the Declaration is the list of of abuses of King George and his government. The preamble, talking about, you know, we hold these truths to be self-evident, sure. was propaganda aimed at European liberals, hoping that the French would join us and, and, and support the revolution, and that maybe there'd be opposition in the English parliament from mm. the Whig liberals there. So, it's not in the Constitution okay, at all, right. the con- because the Constitution is essentially a compact of union or of confederation among 13 sovereign entities. People have said, well, how come there's no invocation of religion in the Constitution? How come there's no protection of the family? Because that's not what it's designed to do. It's designed to say how South Carolina and Massachusetts are going to act together and not opposed to each other. For example, can South Carolina pass a law saying nobody from Massachusetts can enter the state? And the answer is no. There are limits on state sovereignty, but those limits are carefully construed. And the Tenth Amendment to the Constitution, which is the culminating amendment in the Bill of Rights, the Tenth Amendment says that any rights not enumerated, that is, that specifically belonging to the federal government, belong to the states. Everything else belongs to the states. But what did they use to get the idea that uh, abortions could take place? It's been years since I looked at the ruling itself, Mm -hmm. but it's it's very creative and imaginative, two words which should be stricken from uh, a normal person's vocabulary. (laughs) Because what they did is first, because there's no such discussion of absolutes of the Constitution, it would be highly inappropriate. So there's so unlike the French Declaration of Right, there's no statement, a glowing statement about everybody deserves this and everybody deserves that. Justice Blackman found in quote the penumbra of the Constitution and penumbra, mostly in the Bill penumbra? of Rights. Yeah, it's that sort of shadowy thing that emanates from the the outer ring of the sun or whatever. Okay, what and is that? Yeah, I don't. Uh, it had been, it's a word that had been used a couple of times in rulings. You know, well, maybe it's not actually in the law, but in the shadow of the law, we could see this is implied. Well, that's, uh, that's to, one that could thing. be gross misinterpretation. Yes, yes, but it's one thing to say, you know, like, for example, Christian interpretation of the prohibition, thou, sh- thou shalt do no murder. Well, this includes 
plotting against somebody's life, because Christ emphasized our moral conscience. It includes wishing somebody was dead. Mm. It includes hating so your brother. So the outlying boundaries right, that are right. sort of understood right. but not but see, specifically right. stated. But see, that makes sense, whereas there is nothing about privacy. What, we, what we're talking about the Fourth Amendment, about search and seizure? This is ridiculous. There is no right to privacy. So they invented a right to privacy, which they discovered in the penumbra of the Constitution. Mm. And then they said priv- the right to privacy gives you the right to kill your own baby. Now, there's no connection between a right to privacy. Right, but search, search and seizure, doesn't that sort of have a privacy thing going for it? Not really. It's a very, we know what they were complaining about. They weren't, they weren't complaining about privacy. They were complaining about government agents with writs of assistance, which meant like a John Doe warrant, breaking okay. into your a shop, which in many cases was the same house, same place as your home, sure. and breaking in and looking for und- undocumented merchandise, stuff that you hadn't paid the stamp tax on. This was an invasion of, it's a violation of very old principles of uh, British law. And in fact, the old British expression was, a man's home is his castle, Uh and that even the king's agents cannot break in, except in hot pursuit of a felon. Sure. So, for example, you owe $50,000 in back taxes to the government. Well, as long as you stay in the house, the government's not supposed to be able to enter. That's why there's all these English novels in which people don't go out of the house right. because some bailiff will seize them and put them in debtor's prison. Today, there are people rounded up. Their doors are kicked in and they're dragged down to jail in handcuffs because they have overdue library books. Mm-hmm. First, you invent a right to privacy, yeah. and then you have a, a ridiculous conclusion that it gives you the right to kill someone. Now, of course, Uh, for Roe v. Wade to work, you have to believe that an unborn child is not actually a human being. Wouldn't uh, the right to privacy be trumped by the right to life? Isn't the premise of life more important than privacy? If there were such a thing as human rights, then that would be true. But there is no right to life. So, for example, there's a sect of Hindus that wear veils over their mouths because they don't want to inhale an insect. Mm -hmm. Those people believe in a right to life. We don't. Even the Hindus will take penicillin to kill an infection. Bacteria are a form of life. How far down the rabbit hole are we going to go? Today, probably, if you, you hear people getting very upset about killing large mammals. Okay. And I think the time is pretty much coming when if there's a right to life, it'll certainly include Coco the gorilla and uh, and chimps and probably and a whales. black giraffe. They just, yes, she just shot right. a black giraffe yeah. and everybody went crazy for that. I think that the idea of some dumb American going and shooting a very rare species in Africa, it's offensive in, in questions of taste. It has, right. it has nothing to do with, uh, with any rights. So anyway. Okay, so we've got is, natural law and divine law, I'm a little confused on the difference between I have certain rights, unalienable rights, remember that? There's a huge separation there. Fortunately, alienable rights is in the Declaration, which has no force of law, despite the attempt of thousands and thousands of legal scholars to pretend that it does. Let's say we wanted to believe in a right to human life. Well, how would we go about protecting that right? Well, in the case of unborn children, the government would have to protect it. In the case of small children, the government would have to appoint child guardians to make sure that your child, for example, was 
given the right shots, that your child wasn't spanked, that your child was mm -hmm. being given access to pornography and contraception. I mean, in other words, the government would decide what was conducive to making your child viable and right. living. So there are very many practical reasons why talking about rights is a very bad way of treating this subject. Uh. It's also simply a false theory. The notion of inalienable human rights grows out of a philosophical tradition, which we think of primarily people like Locke and Rousseau. It actually goes back to the ancient philosopher Epicurus. These mm. are all more or less atheists. They are more or less people who are complete materialists, who believe that material necessity is all there is, and there is no divine. You should have no respect for religion. But wouldn't that be derived from that, the natural law of thou shalt not kill? And so the right to life would kind of come out of that. That right? is that is one way of dealing with it, and it's the way a lot of the right to life movement has dealt with it. But the, there are obviously many, many problems with it. First of all, because although we understand that children respect and obey the people who have brought them on this earth, okay. but does that confer an obligation or does that give children a right to demand things from their parents? In fact, very interestingly, a lot of Catholic right to lifers cite Thomas Aquinas. Aquinas says, we know that when we talk about the use that is right in terms of the moral law. Okay. We're not talking about a claim on anybody because that would lead to the absurd conclusion that children have a claim on their parents and they don't. Hmm. The, the, the inferior does not have a claim on the superior. The dependent does not have a claim on those who guarantee his existence. So the whole idea is it's, it's a preposterous and fanciful notion which we really need to get off the table. Okay. The, the notion uh, that we need to revive, of course, is the old notion of natural law, which is a law of nature. It's not simply an idea. It's not a theory. It's not simply derived from right reason, okay. as so many natural, natural law philosophers would like to say. It is the nature of reality, that is, that we have within life, we have certain duties that are incumbent on us. Some of these duties are incumbent on us to, to everybody. In other words, we don't kill because we don't want to be killed. It's, it's the golden rule. Right, I see. Uh, which, which many societies have recognized before uh, Christianity in one form or another. There's the negative version, which is don't do unto others what you don't want them to do unto you, you go, yeah. which is pretty basic. But then there are very specific duties. Parents have specific duties. Children have duties. Wives have duties. Husbands have duties. Right. Lawyers have duties. Doctors. Here you get to a, a real nub. The medical tradition in the civilized West has always recognized that the Hippocratic Oath yeah. is, they no longer have to take it, by the way, which is very uh, interesting. But the Hippocratic Oath is supposed to state the duty of the doctor. And one of it, you will do no harm to the patient. There you go. And, the, uh, and another provision was you will not administer an abortifacient. It's a little stone and it would cause an abortion. A doctor has a unique duty that I don't have, which is to preserve the lives of strangers that he comes in contact with, okay, not to take those lives. Right. Now, similarly, if we're going to talk about some of the highest duties that are incumbent upon people in the human race, it's for parents, specifically mothers, to preserve the life of their child, okay. to preserve, maintain, nurture, and foster. 
the problem with the whole idea of right to life is, well, everybody's got a right to life everywhere, so we should spend trillions of dollars protecting people from abortion or child slavery in Africa, India, China. No, we, can't, we don't have the money. No matter how many trillions we spent, we wouldn't make a dent. What we do have is we have the duty to protect our children, okay. and that's an enforceable duty, by the way, and it should be enforceable by law, but at the very least enforceable by public opinion so that no one would ever have the right to say in public or stand up like a Hollywood starlet, well, it was hurting my, I got pregnant, it was hurting my career, so I decided that it was time to exercise my privacy right by killing my child. With that idea in mind, Abortion rights are not constitutional. So the unborn are not protected by the Constitution. That's no, a slippery yeah. slope here. I mean, uh, you must understand, and I, I'm sure that you believe that abortion is wrong. I yes. Mean, well, children are protected under the Constitution. It's none of the Constitution's business how I raise my children. It is up to the state or my local society or my city or county or even my church. But citizens are provided for under the Constitution. And by the way, in the famous Dred Scott decision, which everybody is supposed to hate, what they declared was that Dred Scott, a, a runaway slave, did not have the right to sue in federal court because he wasn't a citizen because Negroes, free or servile, were not covered by the Constitution. We don't like it, but it's true. And what the Chief Justice said very clearly was, you want to give Dred Scott the right to sue in federal court. That's up to Congress. Congress can confer that, but it's not up to me. A ju I'm the ju judge is supposed to enforce the law. There's no law. I don't make the law. Right. they got to go see, and make the law so see, he can do that. So today, of course, oh, well, of course, judges make the law on everything under the sun. They'll yeah. make a law if they want to that says you can't use a blue yo-yo. It's got to be right. a red and black yo-yo. Yeah. So, so the, uh, even twisting the penumbra idea of privacy and then twisting it into the ability of a woman to do whatever she wants with her body. I guess that's where we're going with this. That is where we have gone. And in fact, when the pro-life movement wants to talk a lot about babies have a right, first of all, it's absurd. To have a legal right, you have to be able to make a legal claim. An unborn baby can't sue in court. Okay. So we're talking about citizen rights. Yeah. And then they'll say, well, we're to, oh, I'm talking about uh, something that comes from God. All right, show me a baby's right anywhere in the Bible, anywhere in the natural law tradition of philosophy, anywhere in, in St. Paul, in St. Augustine, St. Thomas Aquinas, Martin Luther, Philip Melanchthon, John well, Calvin. But God recognizes that there's a person in course, there, at its, at a, even at its course, smallest yes, part. Yes, yes, so he recognized, not, I knew you before you were in that's right. your mother's womb. No, no, home. there's no question about so, that, although that particular quotation is not really apt because it, it's rather specific about a specific person. Certainly, absolutely, without okay. question, we're talking about a moral abomination. Okay. But it's a moral abomination which goes far beyond any abstract notion about a right to life. Because if it's a right to life, then I should be equally worried about some poor child being killed in Somalia. What we have to worry about is women with a complicity of a physician who is supposed to save life. A woman's highest duty in life is to bear and protect her child. Yes. For a woman to murder her own child and then boast about it 
and want federal protection and want, in fact, uh, subsidies from Planned Parenthood. Yeah, you're as getting all they, of that now. Yeah, There's, uh, as it's if, a strange dichotomy that the people that are so pro-abortion provide so much for pregnant women, and it just seems like it's a very strange paradox. Yeah, well, they, they provide it because it's part of their cover. What the phrase pro-life and the whole pro-life argument yes. covers up is the fact that abortion is a far more serious moral a grievance, a, a greater sin, a greater crime yes. than a serial killer who goes out and kills 30 strangers because those are strangers. He only has the negative duty not to harm them, whereas the mother has the positive duty to love and nurture and mm. take care of her child, to sink so low that she would even consider having an abortion is an abomination. Yes. And the fact is, for 45 years, we have tolerated this, and most of the pro-life movements say they go after the doctor. The doctor is complicit, but it's the mother who's killing her baby. Yes. So it's not even a constitutional, unconstitutional. The bottom line is that you're referring back to the moral issue, which says this is just terribly wrong. And it's terribly wrong in the first minute of conception, yeah. and it's terribly wrong in uh, the ninth month and the last day. Yeah. This is a wrong thing that we're doing, and uh, and yet... Here it is. It is a law. Yes. And, but uh, the bottom line right now is the possibility of a new Supreme Court guy coming in and possibly changing the law. I think we should get into that and maybe some ideas about who these people are and how much power they really have. And furthermore, some even of the biological aspects and so forth. So this is an ongoing... Yes. We have many um, things to talk about. Yes. One of them is the practicality of the political... What can the court do? What can they not do? And secondly, what I would like to emerge from this is a clarification of what the issue really involves so that then we can move forward because you can't make a political decision without understanding the moral question at hand and and that's what we're going to try to do excellent i really look forward to these uh from under the rubble conversations and i hope you'll join us next time for the ongoing conversation thank you doctor thank you